Welcome to the 26 West Church Sunday Gathering Podcast. Our prayer is that this teaching helps you experience life in Jesus. Hey, welcome. If we have not met before, uh, my name is Ryan Doucette. I'm the youth pastor here, and I am thrilled to uh, teach scriptures today. I'm thrilled to open up the word to you. And so I want to open with this. A.J. Jacobs is an American journalist, author, and editor-at-large for Esquire magazine. He's best known for writing about his lifestyle experiments. He literally uses himself as a human guinea pig to run the experiments. And then he has this like intimate, immediate access to insights and data since he's both the test subject and the test administrator. In 2005, he wrote a book called The Know-It-All, One Man's Humble Quest to Become the Smartest Person in the World. In the book, he, yeah, right. (laughs) In, In the book, he recounts his experience of reading the entire Encyclopedia Britannica all 32 volumes of the 2002 edition, 33,000 pages. In 2012, he wrote a book called Drop Dead Healthy, One Man's Humble Quest for Bodily Perfection. He explored different ways that the humans can bring their bodies to peak health from diet to exercise. He wrote the entire book while walking on a treadmill and delivered a related TED Talk about his findings entitled, How Healthy Living Nearly Killed Me. Now, (laughs) the point in introducing you to A.J. Jacobs, because he is quite quirky, Um, uh, he's kind of this like uh, a spunky sort of genius type, right? But the point in introducing you to him is in 2007, he wrote a book called The Year of Living Biblically, One Man's Humble Quest to Follow the Bible as Literally as Possible. Now, he specifically cites two reasons for both embarking on this human experiment and then writing about it. The first is that he grew up without any sort of religion. He explains that he is Jewish, uh, but in the same way that the Olive Garden is Italian. (laughs) Now, if you love the Olive Garden and you're like that, it's home like, my wife is Italian, we don't go out to the Olive Garden to eat. But I get that that might be your favorite restaurant. It's his words, not mine. (laughs) But the the second reason that he writes was a growing concern about the rise of fundamentalism, religious fundamentalism and people taking the Bible so literally. In his research for the book, he wrote down every rule or command he could find in the Bible, over 700, and he took them very literally. In fact, this is, I had to share this, it's so good. (laughs) During his experiment, one law that he was really struggling to address was stoning adulterers. (laughs) Now, one day while he was at a park, he was dressed in his biblical clothing, sandals, beard, all that related to his his literal following of the laws, such as not wearing mixed fiber clothing or not trimming the corners of his beard. He just said, I'm just going to let the whole thing go. And this man approached him and, and asked him, why are you dressed that way? And so AJ tells this man all about his project, and the man replies, well, I'm an adulterer. Are you going to stone me? And AJ responds, that would be great. (laughs) So so AJ took out this handful of stones from his pocket that he'd been carrying around for weeks, hoping for just this sort of interaction. And, And he provides the caveat that they're just pebbles. But before he knew it, the man, like, took the pebbles out of his hand and threw them at his face. And then AJ thought, well, I can retaliate because, you know, an eye for an eye. And so he, he threw one back at him. <laughs> okay, we're all here together now. We're in this. It's, we, we, we got past the weird, awkward part of, look, AJ admits that while the experiment was incredibly challenging, uh, it was also life-changing. And he said that the most significant insight of his experiment was that quote, thou shalt pick and choose is perhaps the most damaging approach to the Bible. And I would agree with AJ, but I also think AJ has some bad theology. In a way, he he did the same thing, right? 
he pick and chose largely some of these really challenging um, laws of the Old Testament that maybe don't have the most perfect fit in our society today. And in my um, assessment, he could have avoided the whole mess if he had incorporated the text we're going to look at in Colossians 2, verses 16 and 23. Last week, we saw Paul's warning, which is the central concern of the whole letter. He says this in verse 8 of chapter 2, See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. And so Paul continues in what we're going to look at this morning, picking it right back up in verse 16. And I've kind of laid this out in what I think is, is three movements of this short passage. This first one, I, I think, is bad theology leads to bad practice. So let me reread to you verses 16 and 17. It says this, Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. I think it's helpful to, to revisit for you, and myself, honestly, um, a little bit more context around who this Colossian community is and, and why Paul's writing. What are, what are these people experiencing that are receiving this letter that we're reading now today? This church, when they're getting this letter, is maybe 10 years old, just like us. We're about a 10-year-old church here planted in 2012. Um, history shows that the city is in decline at the time that they're receiving the letter. By 400 AD, Col Colossae is completely abandoned. There's no one left. So maybe 100 or so years, or sorry, 300 or so years after they're getting this letter, this city doesn't exist. Historians also know that around the time this letter is written, there's a massive earthquake that has struck the whole area. The Colossians are going through some real challenges. And then the church itself, the people in Colossae, they're made, um, if not solely, largely are Gentiles. They, there's no religious background. They don't actually have a Jewish connection. They don't have a Bible. They maybe don't even have access to an Old Testament scroll. All they have is the words of one man, Epaphras, who actually connected with Paul in Ephesus and has come back and started this church. So they have some words from a guy who shared with them. And then they receive this letter that we've been reading, Colossians. I'm sure that this becomes their primary way of understanding who Jesus is and how to follow him. And so in addition to the circumstantial challenges that they're facing, they're also facing, as we see here in verses 16 and 17, ideological challenges. That's what Paul has been addressing in this second chapter. And so one commentator says this. He says, there are so many possible religious currents and cross-currents in their context. And then it seems clear, as maybe you picked up, there is some Jewish influence we hear the word Sabbath, and you hear phrases around like food and eating and drinking. And there are, there are two clues that make it really clear that there is some Jewish influence. The first is the Old Testament law obviously prohibited eating certain food that was deemed unclean. But it generally never prohibited any kind of drinking. So that's where we can start to see, well, there's, there's something else going on. There's eating, there's drinking, there's this mix of, of religious ideas that they're, they're wrestling with. And then the second clue is that Paul dealt with this topic in other letters. We see in Romans, Galatians, lots of other um, times when Paul is addressing issues of the Jewish law being held to these new followers of Jesus as if this was still going to save them. But what we don't have here in Colossians is a direct reference to the Mosaic law or any sort of division between Jew and Gentile. Paul's more vague, right? And so it seems that while the practices in verse 16 here are basically Jewish, we should recognize and pick up that there's, they're in a larger mix of religious ideas and practices. And so let me just like pause here already as we, we've jumped in. 
because I just want to draw your attention to the, the relevance to us. I hear as a youth pastor, or at least see, so many times where it's like, you know, I can't, this isn't relevant to my life today. And maybe you've been in that same place, you've wrestled with this, you're reading and you're like, new um, festivals, new moons, I, I don't even, like, this isn't relevant to me, but let me just recount for you some things. There, there, Colossae is a city that's coming out of major crisis that affected all of their lives. They're experiencing financial hardship and economic decline. They're trying to follow Jesus in the midst of a number of alternate worldviews and religious practices and ideas, and they're being falsely judged and criticized that they are not doing it right. Do, do you see any connections to the world today? We just came out of COVID, a major crisis that has majorly affected all aspects of life. We are, there's clear economic strains and we are swimming in a just, uh, we are inundated with worldviews coming at us every day. And, and right now, Christianity is really being judged as if we are doing the right thing. This is like a timely word. I'm like, this is amazing to have Paul's word and encouragement for us. Now, what Paul makes clear is that the Jewish practices referenced here, they were a shadow of a future reality, a reality that has come to fruition in the person of Jesus, the living word. The writer of Hebrews uses very similar language, and I think he actually says it even more clearly than Paul. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1, he says this, the writer the law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. And this teaching, this concept, this originated in Jesus in a riveting statement that he proclaimed in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, do not think I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. Everything that has come before me that you have in the scriptures here, that's the Old Testament. I didn't come to wipe that out. I came to fulfill it. He brings what one commentary says is the full validity of the law. The law was the shadow and Jesus was the one casting that shadow. He's the substance, the true form. Jesus completes the activity that the law was trying to accomplish, overcoming the law's imperfect state by bringing into its ultimate goal and completion. What's the point I'm trying to make here? The meaning of Colossians 2, verses 16 and 17 may be fairly straightforward. And although I've drawn out some insightful relevance between us and the Colossians, you might be thinking, I'm not experiencing pressures of judgment in the way I follow Jesus because I'm not practicing Jewish laws and customs, Ryan. I'm not being judged because of what I eat or drink, at least not in a spiritual sense. No one's putting me down for missing the Sabbath. No one cares if I wear a mixed fiber t-shirt like a poly cotton blend when it's hot out. <laughs> The underlining struggle for both us, I think, and the Colossians is that bad theology leads to bad practice. Bad theology leads to bad practice. This plagued the early church, and most of the New Testament is written to help new followers of Jesus correct bad theology, and it still plagues us today. As the church mixes with the world, we can adapt and adopt beliefs and practices that are not consistent with following the way of Jesus. And with the infiltration of the various beliefs can come judgment. Paul's encouragement for the Colossians here is to ignore the judgment of those that are placing an unnecessary burden on them. But the underlying uh, guidance for the Colossians is really to understand who Jesus is and why we follow him. He's just spent an entire chapter of Bible giving the Colossians one of the most glorious pictures of Christ's supremacy that we have in all of the scriptures. 
And as individuals, I think we also have a responsibility to know what we believe. Um, Paul writes to, uh, to the Ephesians in chapter 4, verses 11 through 13. He says this. He says, hey, Christ uh, himself, he gave the apostles and he gave the prophets and he gave the evangelists and the pastors and teachers. He, he gave us these leaders that are teaching us the scriptures in order to equip his people, the body, for works of service so that the, the body of Christ may be built up into unity. So, so um, there's a gifting in leadership to teach the Bible, right? And so there is a responsibility that lies on us that step onto this stage and open the word in front of you to teach the scriptures. But, but Peter reminds us too that there's a responsibility that when we're sitting in these seats, we should always be prepared to give an example to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. And I love this really helpful reminder for us, but do this with gentleness and respect. I think the underlying, underlying guidance from these verses for the Colossians and for us is to understand who Jesus is and why we follow him. I'm seeing the evidence in the church of bad theology leading to bad practice, I think we don't sometimes know what we believe. We don't know the scriptures. We have a responsibility. You have a responsibility. It's not just on whoever steps on this stage. We as followers of Jesus have his word. We have his spirit. We need to know what we believe. Okay. Movement two. The influence of the unspiritual and the disconnected. In the second plea of this passage, Paul moves from comforting the Colossians against being falsely judged to comforting them for being falsely disqualified. Let me reread to you verses 18 and 19. It says, do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you. Such a person also goes into great detail about what they have seen. They're puffed up with idle notions by their unspiritual mind. They've lost connection with the head from which the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Apparently, there were people in or close to the church who were trying to disqualify them. More on that in a second. Now, what you're maybe wondering about is not the disqualification, because that's pretty straightforward. I have to believe you're like, whoa, what's going on with the worship of angels? I want to know about the, like the great detail they had in these visions, like what's going on? And you're in good company, and this is always, um, when you're studying the scriptures and you're reading commentaries, when you, you come across a line like this, it, it, you're always like, oh, good. Um, the, the commentator says, this is arguably the most difficult verse in Colossians to interpret. And I'm like, great, thank you. This, I can't wait to dig in. <laughs> What's helpful then is it's like there's a variety of, of opinions on what this is, but, but I'm, I think there's, uh, there is some clarity here, right? The first challenge is trying to understand their false humility. Like, what does that mean? <clears throat> and I think a really helpful and a very viable suggestion at this false humility that they have, that these false teachers have, is related to fasting. Uh, there are a few biblical passages that connect the idea of humility and fasting, I'll just give you one example that comes from Psalm 35. It says, yet when they were ill, I put on sackcloth and I humbled myself with fasting. And now we also saw a connection in, in our passage today in verse 16, right? Paul referenced these false teachers who were casting judgment about eating and drinking. And they're clearly, ref, um, they're abstaining from certain food and drink. And then finally, there's also historical evidence that these types of fasting practices were often used by false teachers in order to, quote, prepare themselves for or to stimulate visionary experiences. And so this led these individuals to be puffed up. They were prideful, they were boastful, and they were looking down on the Colossian congregation. They were judging them, and they were disqualifying them for what they were previously taught about following Jesus. These false teachers, they're part of the Colossian church. But because of this inundation of ideas and other religious practices that were going on, because of the, the, the pressures of, of, 
what the, the city's struggling, uh, they're getting sucked into these different practices. And, and this idea, this, this practice of worshiping angels, it, it comes from a practice of calling on the angels to protect them from evil spirits. But what seems to have happened is in their weakened minds, these, these false teachers who were once part of the Colossian congregation, who were once brothers and sisters, um, they have uh, gone into this infatuation. They are now at the point where they're actually worshiping these angels, these false gods. And so these false teachers, they're having a hunger that is induced uh, uh, these hunger-induced visions, they're worshiping these, these other spirits, these other angelic beings, and then they're acting arrogantly. They're coming back into the church, and they're criticizing and judging and disqualifying. And Paul says these behaviors have led to an unspiritual mind. Now, this is a helpful. I want to like uh, look at this word because I think there's some, some other good connections here. This, the word unspiritual in the Greek here is sarks. Let's learn some Greek this morning. You can say this with me, sarks. You're Greek scholars, look at that, sarks. Um, the word sarks, it's often translated, and you've probably seen it in the New Testament, it's often translated as flesh, and it can refer to that which belongs to this world, to worldly things. And Paul has a ton to say about the role of the sarks in the life of the Christian. I'm just gonna give you two. The first one comes from Romans 8, verse 5. It says, those who live according to the sarks, to the flesh, they have their minds set on what the flesh or the sarks desires. But those who live in accordance with the spirit, they have their minds set on what the spirit desires. What do you have your mind set on this morning? Is it on the sarks or is it being led by the spirit? In Galatians 5, Paul says, For the flesh, or the sarks, it desires what is contrary to the spirit, and the spirit what is contrary to the sarks. They are in conflict with each other so that you are not to do whatever you want. Paul says, don't let these unspiritual people practicing some sort of pseudo-spirituality disqualify you. They're not only unspiritual, they're disconnected. They have lost connection from the head, which is Jesus, and from the body, which is his church. This is a, there's an interesting implication here, and I, I kind of already touched on it, but I want to just revisit it again. These false teachers, it's not some random people in the city of Colossae. They were once brothers and sisters who sat in the seat next to their fellow brothers and sisters in that church. You can maybe picture someone that's um, maybe uh, they, they've stumbled away from the faith. They've uh, deconstructed their faith. And maybe they're coming to you now and they're, they're casting judgment on you or disqualifying you. That's the sort of picture here. These people walked alongside them, but now they're coming back and they're judging this community. They're disqualifying this, disqualifying this community. And they are off track. They're unspiritual. They have a lost connection with Jesus and this body. They have fallen prey to this weird concoction of religious practices and so how does this relate to us? I think the most significant connection is that Christianity has seemingly lost the moral high ground in our society. Christianity that once appealed to the masses, that once led the way in justice and mercy and love and compassion and service has more recently become better known for failure, for being too judgmental, for scandal, for abuse. I think if you went into the city of Portland and polled people, they would know the rise of Mars Hill. They would know the documentary on Hillsong. They would know the endless headlines of Catholic church sex abuse. And then that's being transposed even onto people like us that sit in this room, and that's tough. There's, um, there's this dual tension that I think we live in, and I was, as I was studying and preparing, I was thinking about, there's, 
we know maybe the, the sacred, secular divide, this idea that I, I'm trying to follow Jesus here, but I, I live in the world. Right, um, I think we are called by Jesus to be in the world, but not of it. That's what we just talked about with this. That's what Paul was just talking about. He's like, he's like, you can't live by the way of the world by the sarks. You need to be led by the Spirit. But we have to live in the the duality of both. And so we we live in that. That's that's one of the tensions. This divide between what's sacred and what's secular. And every day you step into the workplace or you live in your neighborhood, or you walk into a school or a grocery store, like you are a, a hopefully sacred person that's stepping into the secular. You're in the world, but you should not be of it. So that's one of the tensions. But I, I feel like what's a rising tension is this fragmentation in the church, in, in this room, in our building, in, in the capital C church, the churches across the nation and around the world, there's a lot of judgment and disqualifying that's going on both from outside, but also from within. And, and Paul pleads with the church in his letter to Corinth, he says, for those uh, for though we live in the world, in the Sarks, we do not wage war as the world does. And so the, the lesson here is to avoid the influence of the unspiritual and the disconnected. And I think the best way to do that is remain connected to Jesus and to his church. You could write this down, this note, this point from this movement. The, the quote, lost connection is from both the head, it's from Jesus, and it's from the body, it's from the church. And we need both to be, as Paul says, quote, supported and held together as God causes it, the church body, to grow. We need both. We need the head. We need Jesus. We need individual connection with him and formation by him. And we need each other. And Paul is just saying, do not forsake either of those things. I felt like there was this, um, whenever you are writing and teaching through the scriptures, um, one of the beautiful things that happen is, happens is the Holy Spirit will just bring other passages up, especially ones that you have hidden deep in your heart. Um, I don't know why I just thought of it, but I'm thinking about like Tim Reed here, you know, um, memorizing scripture. A, a long time ago, uh, I had the privilege of going through discipleship with uh, a guy named Josh White, who planted the church Door of Hope. And it was such a beautiful experience, and it was really shaping in my life. And we memorized all of John 16, or 14, 15, 16, and 17, the Upper Room Discourse, the final instructions to Jesus' disciples. And so whenever I'm in other places in Scripture, if there's a connection, you just, it just comes up, it bubbles up. And I just want to read to you because I felt like there was such a strong connection to what Paul's saying here um, to what Jesus said in John 15. It, it's a passage you likely know well, but let me just read it for you. It's in John 15. I'm going to read verses 5 through 8. It won't be on the screen. You can, you can pull it up or jot a note down to look at it. It says, I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you remain in me, you are like a branch, or sorry, if you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches, is, such branches are picked up and thrown into the fire and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples." And I'll tell you the big aha, I mean, it's clear, right? The, Paul's talking about the lost connection with the head, and Jesus is like, abide in me. Don't lose that connection. But what sort of was a new insight to me was that Jesus also makes the point of being connected to the body. The, the idea of remaining or abiding, it's not just individualistic. And even what Jesus teaches 
um, there's a collective bearing of fruit and witness to the world. That last verse, this is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves, the group, to be my disciples. And so there is power. Paul is saying, don't lose connection to Jesus, but please do not lose connection to the church because there is a role to play. What is happening right now and the view of the body by them outside of this room is really going through some tough things. What could it look like if our local church, this 26 West Church body in Hillsborough is a beautiful picture of what it looks like to be followers of Jesus, what it looks like to be the community. And what if people are out there going, I want in on that. We, we have a lot of work to do because we have a tough job with all that is going on. And so do not lose heart. Actually, I'll give you Jesus' words. <laughs> um, well, I'll give you two. I'll give you two from this same passage. <clears throat> First says, this is what you should expect. If you belong to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you do not belong to the world. Jesus has chosen you out of the world. That is why the world hates you. This is hard. <laughs> the world is not going to love us as we are. We are going to stir some things up, as my friend said this week, when we follow Jesus. But I have told you these things so that in me, in Jesus, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble but take heart, I have overcome the world. And so we move into the third section of this short passage. And this one doesn't need some line that I've come up with on my own because it's so brilliant in what it says on the outset. Since you died with Christ. Paul also suggests another connection we should not lose. Let me reread to you this final three verses from uh, chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. Since you died with Christ to the elemental spiritual forces of this world, why, as you still belong to the world, do you submit to its rules? Quote, do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These rules, which have to do with things that are all destined to perish with use, are based on merely human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. You know, we, uh, as 26 West Church youth, we're headed to youth camp in just like 12 days, and my heart is just like full and expectant. I cannot wait to be there with these young people um, we have seen God move in powerful ways over the last two years of doing this collective camp together, this collective youth camp with other churches in our city. Um, we've been doing this, uh, this will be our third year. We, we partner with various churches that we work with to bring youth together. And so it's powerful. It's a powerful picture of unity, the body working together, and seeing Jesus move in powerful ways. And um, two years ago, we actually had this guest speaker. Her name's Gabrielle Odom. And she once was an intern for Nick Hall, who's a well-known evangelist and runs an outreach called Pulse. Uh, if you haven't listened to the, the recent podcast, uh, we have a new podcast called Life in Jesus that is just for our church, by our church. And uh, our most recent episode, we had Nick come on just to share a bit more about what he's seeing more uh, nationally and globally in Gen Z, and it was super encouraging. Uh, but I want to tell you about Gabby, who, who once worked for Nick. And there's a reason why Nick, you know, he, he found this, this young woman who just was on fire and was like, I need you to be an intern here. <laughs> um, this, this girl, as a high schooler, as like a junior or senior, she uh, was helping to lead revival among young people in her city. She was like, phoning up, getting out the phone book and calling up local youth pastors. She's organizing events. She's helping to launch Jesus clubs at various schools in her city. I mean, she was having a major impact, just this one young woman who was so dedicated to following Jesus. And at camp, she shared with our students about this text thread that she had um, started with a few just key friends to help like for encouragement and accountability. 
And she said that every morning, one of them would usually start off the text thread uh, for the day by saying this, welcome to your funeral. Welcome to your funeral. This is a 16-year-old following Jesus, modeling this verse that these 16-year-olds texting each other, welcome to your funeral. Now, that sounds pretty morbid. <laughs> you might be like, that's depressing. But I, I don't know. I'm just like, that's bold. That is bold. Paul offers this same sentiment to the Colossians. And so he's offering it to you and me since you died with Christ. Welcome to your funeral today. <laughs> Now, a really important linguistic insight is what Paul are, is trying to articulate in the Greek because it doesn't, um, it, does, it doesn't assume anything as we might read it. And I just want to quote this from Douglas Moo, uh, the commentator. I thought this was really helpful because we have to understand sometimes, and this, this goes back to like bad theology leads to bad practice. It goes back to A.J. Um, you know, Jacob's taking the Bible literally, it was not written in English. And, and while we have the best and, and most incredible people that are working to translate this, sometimes reading just in the English, it, it, it doesn't get the idea across. How many of you know another language or are fluent in another language? Any other language than English? Well, this makes it even... Raise your hands high. Be proud of your, your bilingualness. For those that do, you know that there are a lot of things that when you try to translate them, they just do not go one-to-one. -one. And it's the same here. And so I just, I'll quote you the helpful quote regarding to this passage. Paul says, um, Paul is not simply stating the fact that we have died with Christ. He's actually inviting us to consider whether indeed we have died with Christ. And thus to ponder what that means, the implications so I want to ask you this morning, have you died with Christ? Or are you clinging to the elemental spiritual forces of this world? Maybe you're like, Ryan, I don't even know what it means to die to Christ. In Romans 6, Paul says, for we know that our old self the old way that we were, we were living life apart from Jesus, the way we're, that we were living, doing whatever we want, that we define what was right and wrong, that uh, we make up the rules, that we do whatever the world tells us, that we're living by the world standards. He says, we know that that old self was crucified with him, with Jesus, so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. We should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. <clears throat> I got to jump forward. This is where you mix up your notes. I'm like, this is going to land way better if I, I move forward. Can I do that? Okay, awesome. This is great. You're my family. The, the, the thing that we, this is a fascinating paradox in Christianity, and, and I, we have to wrestle with this. It's, it's that following the way of Jesus means that life comes from death. Yeah, we got to write it down. <laughs> this, that's tattoo worthy, as we tell our students, but you have to get parent approval. I don't, I mean, I do say that jokingly. So if they come to you, it's not my, it's, <laughs> I tell them they need to, <laughs> but maybe we, yeah, look at we, <laughs> life comes from death in the way of Jesus. <clears throat> We have to wrestle with that because it's hard. <laughs> Death is hard. It's not easy. The cross, crucifixion, that really stinks. So have you died with Christ or are you clinging to the elemental spiritual forces of the world? What's truly guiding your life, what's influencing and shaping you, how are you being formed? And what are you being formed into? Is it world-like or is it Jesus-like? <clears throat> now, what's great is um, Paul's tone, it's not a rebuke. It's a warning. 
In fact, it could be read, why should you allow yourselves to be subjected to the world and its rules? But what we have to avoid here is the temptation to twist the meaning. A poor interpretation could take this to mean I don't have to obey what the world tells me. I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm free. I don't have to obey the government or the laws. I could speed. I can, you know, I'm, I'm going to say it because it's, it, we're past it now, sort of. But, like, I don't have to wear a mask. I don't have to do what the government's telling me to do. I'm free in Jesus. There are people that have taken God's word and said, I don't have to pay taxes. We can't pick and choose. We have to look at what the text says, and we have to look at it across the scriptures, and we have to weigh things together, and we see, oh, wait, Paul's saying, I don't have to do trimming my beard anymore. I don't have to, I can wear dry fit. It's okay. I'm not going to be judged, you know. <laughs> I, Sabbath is a healthy practice because we're going too fast, but if I miss it, I'm not condemned, right? We, that's a freedom we have. If our, I, I wrote this down. If our interpretation is correct, picking and choosing should never be an issue <laughs> because we're reading the totality of the scriptures and we're seeing it all together. Oh, wait, Jesus fulfilled that all. The Greek that is translated here, died to, it actually has a preposition that would usually be rendered from. And by using this preposition, Paul appears to emphasize not just severance, but the freedom that flows from the severance. That's just like he was saying before, you, you, what you're free, it's not what you're free to. I'm not free to do whatever I want. I'm free from sin. I'm free from all the junk. Every one of you has sat in this room and said, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to live that way. I looked at that thing and I don't want to look at it again. I feel awful. It didn't fulfill me. Jesus is saying, or Paul is saying, you're free from that. You're not free to just do whatever you want. You're free from the things that have held you down and held, enslaved you. One Greek scholar uh, points out that the, the NLT has a, a, a really helpful translation of this verse. You have died with Christ and he has set you free from the evil powers of this world. Now, again, there are, there are two kind of polarizing responses to this that we, we can fall into. Either religious fundamentalism, which A.J. Jacobs was really disturbed by, right? <clears throat> or ultimate freedom. And the relig religious fundamentalist um, we, that's where they can take these English translations. They can, there's places where the author wasn't exactly trying to say something that gets twisted, and they're living things out very literally. Uh, in fact, the, the, an example of this uh, that I don't think is really that helpful is in the NIV, uh, as Meredith read it, it has that heading. And the heading is not in Paul's writing. It's something that we added afterward. The heading... Um, Freedom from human rules. I mean, that can sort of be troubling. We're not free from all human rules. You can see how that can be taken literally. Um, another example is you're not actually dead. <laughs> you're no, no one's dead here. Everyone's got a pulse still. Hallelujah. We're not, you're not actually dead. <laughs> and, and this is what Jesus actually criticized in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, which I was referencing earlier, right, in his teaching, that he fulfilled the law. And then his critique was uh, people were upholding the letter of the law. And he's like, you guys are missing the spirit or the heart of it. But on the flip side, and, and, and maybe I would say more of us tend to, to fall into this camp, is that we can live too freely. Yeah, I follow Jesus, but... You know, um, when I leave, the, the best way I think of it is like, what does your uh, Monday through Saturday look like? It's great that we're here as a family, but what does your Monday through Saturday look like? Tim Reed, uh, who is a, is a great friend, great teacher, I'm so thankful he's part of our community and sent me some feedback on my notes. 
he had a really helpful way of, of saying this too freely. He said, we can live with an unrestrained pursuit of what I want. Indeed, this is the initial trouble of humanity. This is the fall in the garden. I will be like God and determine for myself what is right and wrong. In 1 Corinthians, Paul is writing and he's addressing some of the very same issues that he's uh, talking to the Colossian church about. And he writes, uh, quote, I have the right to do anything you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should seek their own good, but for the good of others. And this is where I jumped ahead, but it's good to restate again. Th this fascinating paradox we must wrestle with is the f that following the way of Jesus means life comes from death. So uh, maybe this morning, what do you need to put to death that from that will come life? Man, there have been many deaths in my life that I am like so thankful for today. I mean, the one, like, pornography plagues both men and women. Put it to death, there is life. Don't be disconnected from Jesus or the body. If you need help, get it. But you are a being enslaved to these things. That wasn't in the notes, but there, there is freedom from these things. Uh, Paul makes it very clear to the Galatians. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. I promise you, the pain is momentary. The joy is eternal. So let me ask you again, have you died with Christ? Is that true of you? Not just today, but Monday through Saturday. The final critique in this passage that Paul gives, whatever these false teachers are doing, things that are clearly not of Jesus, they're ineffective. They have an appearance of wisdom, but it's leading to, quote, what it says here, a self-imposed worship, which means they're literally worshiping themselves. <laughs> Whatever harsh practices they are, uh, the, the fasting, the starving themselves, some of them may have been indu inducing physical harm on themselves. It's not working. Paul says they're not helping restrain, quote, the sensual indulgence. So if you are in, in a habitual sin and it's not working, get connected to Jesus in his body. Don't put yourself through hell or through something that's not effective. There are, you have the spirit within you. You have Jesus that wants your joy, who wants to set you free. And you have us who want to help you walk through things together. Oh, man, this is, um, isn't it amazing what Paul or what it, any of the Bible can pack into seven verses? <laughs> there's so much more, but um, I think there's so much good stuff. And, and I think the danger that can happen for us is, um, is to wrestle with the text. Like, so we've gotten through, and thank you for hanging in. I feel like I did pack in a lot, so I hope it was helpful for you to really wrestle and see, like, what is Paul trying to get across and how does that relate to us? But it can't stop there. The danger is that we don't uh, wrestle with it and apply it to our own lives. And so um, we looked at three themes from the passage this morning, and I just want to, like, walk us through them again. I want to invite you to respond. And, and here's how this works. Um, just a new practice for us as a church that we feel like is spirit-led, is biblical, and is really personal it is a response time where you come forward. And so, so the front area is open. I'm going to invite our prayer team to be up here. 
And all that they're going to do is come and pray a blessing over you. But what I'm asking you to do is if there's something stirring in your heart, I'm going to recap right now these, these responses, these things that we're seeing. And if you feel like, man, God is really speaking to me, I'm asking you to come forward because what we need to do is we need to put action to what's happening in our minds. I have sat in the seat and I have been there and I have taken the notes and I have been convicted and then I have walked home and done nothing about it. There is something that happens neurologically in our brains that when you get up and you respond and you come forward, you have taken a major step. Um, one of the things that A.J. Jacobs learned in his year of living biblically, one of the fruitful things was that um, behavior changes the mind. When you get up and you move, it starts to change and rewire things that are in your mind. So you are responding. If you get up this morning, you come, all that's happening is a, a prayer person's going to pray a blessing over you. And you're not responding to me. You're responding to God who you feel has connected with you this morning. So let me recap these things. Maybe this morning your theology is leading to bad practice. I, I personally think, and maybe you feel, we are in an age of information overload. A, uh, a sociologist named Peter Rizel redefined information overload, saying it's when a decision maker is given many sense of information, such as complexity, amount, and contradiction, then the quality of their decision is decreased because of the individual's limitation of scarce resources to process all of the information and optimally make the best decision. In essence, I think because of so much information, it's leading us to have great breadth, but little depth. People are deconstructing their faith and years of following Jesus on a 60-second TikTok video. I have had people come to me that have been misled in their theology because of their unwillingness to read a book. Paul's primary point in writing this letter is to ensure that this didn't happen to the Colossians, and my prayer is that it does not happen to you. Do you know what you believe? Are you prepared to give an answer for the hope that you have? Is Sunday the only day that you're really digging into the scriptures? What would it look like for you to really press in, to, to pick up and read with someone in our community, say, hey, you know, I'm not in it enough. Will you come alongside and can we read the rest of Colossians together? Or can we pick another book? What would it look like for you to dig deeper into what you believe? While we are in, um, uh, we are in the height of biblical illiteracy, but yet the resources are the greatest they've ever been. And I could have given you a list of them. And if you want them, I will wait and talk to you as long as you need. We have plenty of resources that this church would point you to. But please, like, if you don't know what you believe, it needs to take root deep down inside you. Secondly, and the second thing that we talked about is, are you being influenced by the unspiritual? Have you lost connection? with the head, with Jesus, or with his body. I don't know who's all in this room. Maybe you're sitting in a church for the first time in years or months, or maybe you come very infrequently. Maybe you're not really connected. I don't know where you're at, but maybe that is hitting you of like, I've lost connection with Jesus and the church. There, there are some of us who are following Jesus and we're living too free without any sort of restraint on our self-indulgences. And throughout Paul's writing, he claims to be and urges us to be bondservants of Christ Jesus, that, that picture of like a slave. It's a, it's a nasty term in our, in our society today, but, but you get the picture of, of how, how much we're tied to the way of Jesus. Maybe this morning you're here, but Monday through Saturday, you're more heavily influenced by the unspiritual. Rather than living in the conflict and tension of the spirit and the world, as Paul points out to the Galatians, maybe you just simply do whatever you want. Do you find yourself increasingly disconnected from Jesus and his body? One of my favorite Bible teachers, John Tyson, says, if we were to honestly lay our hearts before the Lord, 
I believe he would be more interested in the parts we're holding back than the parts we've already given. Yeah, super good. Should you really be watching that show? Should you really be looking at that website, listening to that song, hanging out with those friends? Now look, I want to be very careful. I'm not, um, I am not trying to say we need to live in a Christian bubble. But there are things, the, the one that I don't know why it comes to mind, but the, I watched one episode of Breaking Bad years ago, and I said, there's no way. And I remember talking with Christian friends that like, oh, but the art, it's so good. I'm like, I'm sorry, I can't do that. So I'm asking you, are there things that you're watching that just are not helpful? Listening to, what is it? Maybe there's not enough distinction between you and the world. We should look different out there. We should look different. We should be a people that show the world what Jesus is like. Later in Colossians, we'll get there in a few weeks, Paul says this, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus. And then the last one this morning, as followers of Jesus, we should be growing in Christ-likeness. We are empowered by the Holy Spirit, and we should see an increasing ability to restrain from sin. So do you have an increasing ability to restrain, to catch yourself and go, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to take another drink. I, had, I already had enough tonight. I'm not going to watch that thing. It's not good. Well, I was watching that thing. I'm not going to watch that anymore. I can't do it. It's not feeding my soul. It's not helping me become more like Jesus. Are you seeing that grow, that ability to restrain from things? Are you walking in that power today? That is, there is power in God's spirit to say no to those things. Have you really died with Christ and risen to walk in true life? Have you crucified the flesh with its passions and desires? Are you able to take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ? Have you considered the stern and sharp warning of the writer of Hebrews? Quote, if we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth. Now look, I am not here to heap upon you guilt and shame and nor is Jesus or his spirit. I really, um, I see in young people uh, this tendency to walk in guilt and shame. And I actually think that's from Satan. Because... Um, Jesus covers all sin. And when we say yes to Jesus, we are filled with his spirit and empowered in his spirit. And what the spirit does is conviction. And that is different than guilt and shame. Conviction should lead us to urgent action. I urgently need to do something different. I will walk in no condemnation because my sin is covered by the blood of Jesus, but I will do something different. The guilt and the shame is from Satan keeping you in bondage to the sin. Get it out in the open. If you are deliberately sinning or you just don't care about your sin, you should strongly consider today if you have truly died with Christ, and I would urge you come forward Come and pray with one of these people and say, I want that. I want that. Would you close your eyes and just, I want to, before we sing again, just pray over you. And thank you. Thank you for listening. And I pray that, I really pray that you would respond. God, I pray that, um, I pray that, uh, I prayed it this morning. Uh, there are many brothers and sisters in here that I know intimately and deeply, and you all know my heart. 
I have been, my life has been transformed by Jesus, and I walk in just joy. It doesn't mean there isn't hard times, but I walk with you, and I'm so thankful for the transformation you've done in my life. But for those that don't know me intimately, I, I hope that my attitude and the way that I've come off this morning does not push you away, but helps you to see that my heart breaks for those of you that aren't experiencing this. And so there are things that you can respond to this morning. Maybe you are recognizing a lack in your theology, that there are things that you, you don't have a good grasp on, and you are seeing how that has leading to you to walk in a certain way that maybe doesn't look like Jesus or you're not sure of. I pray that you would respond this morning to God connecting with you and you would feel that personal connection, that you would receive a prayer of blessing and, and maybe get some help or resources and, and walk with others in our community. Or maybe you are being influenced by the unspiritual, by, by the world, by the things that are, that are not of Jesus. And I pray that you would come and respond to that. Or maybe you just need to, to be risen again, that you would die with Christ to be risen up to a new life in him. I pray over you, friends, that you will catch the heart this morning, that my heart is for your joy, that much as Paul writes to this church, hoping that they will catch the vision of Jesus and walk safely in him and not be swayed by the ways of this world, that you will catch the vision this morning, that my heart is for you, and that you would walk with him, that you would respond to his calling to you this morning. Pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of our Sunday Gathering podcast. To learn more about 26 West Church, please visit our website at 26westchurch.org.